Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Hope you all had a nice holiday weekend, kind of the unofficial kickoff to summer, and hope you're ready to go for what's going to be kind of a big week, busy week here around Dog Nation, UGA, and the SEC. We'll talk more about that uh, throughout the program and really throughout the week. We also have a little bit, I'll admit, kind of some oddball stuff for you on the show today there as well i'll just go ahead and confess that off the top in fact uh we might begin with uh kind of a slight version of that there as well we know that the month of june is going to be very busy for georgia from a recruiting standpoint there are major visitors set to come in this weekend and really over the course of the next few weeks we'll be talking about a lot of elite visitors coming to georgia in fact more on that before we're done on today's program but for a minute here also a guy that himself recently took a big visit to UGA it's the five-star edge rusher Jaden Wayne we talked a lot about him over the course of the last couple of weeks and interesting to note that a national recruiting reporter photographic evidence here of maybe Georgia using a current member of its roster to help in the recruitment of Wayne let me show you Adam Gorney here on Twitter who covers recruiting for rivals showing Keely Ringo with Jaden Wayne at a uh game i have no idea what game this is or what's going on there i'm presuming it's some sort of all-star game because you have some of that kind of stuff going on this time of year but it's ringo and wayne side by side with each other right there now if you're a georgia fan and you obviously want a guy like wayne in your class and there's plenty of well-documented reasons why you might the presence of Ringo being a factor in this recruitment probably works out to be a pretty good thing here for a moment. In, in fact, let me get a Kirby Smart here, who the other day was doing a radio interview in Birmingham on WJOX, a sports radio station there. He was talking about his desire to see kind of NIL become this sort of blanket thing where you kind of are treating each player somewhat evenly in the world of NIL. That's the point that Smart was making. But in that particular comment, Smart also mentioned Keely Ringo by name there. A lot of folks know Ringo's story. This was a former five-star recruit who, ironically, you know, Wayne lives in Washington. Ringo obviously was famous for playing his high school ball in Arizona. Before that, Ringo also grew up in the state of Washington there, too. So they both have some ties to the – is it the Evergreen State? Is that what Washington is, the Evergreen State? They both have some ties to the Evergreen State. And you, when you think about Jaden Wayne having a college career kind of work out pretty well for you, when the case of Keely Ringo – go from five-star recruit from out west to national championship hero at uga things seem to be going pretty well in fact kirby smart gave voice to that the other day let me remind you kirby's words here as a reason why ringo recruiting wayne for georgia might be a good thing here's kirby smart certain players have an ability to make a, a lot of money and i think that's great for the guys that have earned it that are marketable just like the same guys in the nfl sure. earn it and get it you know there's certain positions to get more than others look keely ringo at one time was had nil deals and then after the game with with alabama that changed right so things change over the course of time and the, the market kind of sets itself in that regard so just to be completely clear here you know we don't try to like fake news like the full comment from Kirby Smart was only partially about Keely Ringo the full comment there was about you know 
NIL and making it kind of a blanket thing, even across the board. But we thought the portion where he spoke about uh, Keely Ringo was interesting kind of pull out right there that Ringo on the heels of getting the national championship and getting that game ceiling interception there, apparently, according to Kirby, has put himself in a position to make a lot more NIL money recently. I'm not really quite aware of those deals or, you know, how those are being funded or whatever else. But that's what Kirby says has been in store for Ringo since being the hero of the national championship game. So if that's true, then telling that to Jaden Wayne of, hey, guess what? I came to George from way out west and look how well things have worked out for me. Obviously, that seems like a pretty good recruiting pitch. In fact, to kind of echo this point a little further, when Jeff Sintel was with us on Friday, he also acknowledged prior to this picture, I guess, becoming public, but he also acknowledged that, yeah, the Ringo story is one that seems to work well on Wayne and his family and other players from out west who have recently made the decision to come to georgia and for a lot of these guys things seem things seem to be working out pretty well let me remind you of jeff from friday on Jaden wayne and the way in which that family suddenly feels a little bit of a pull to georgia this was our recruiting insider jeff Sintel. i think it's realistic especially now one thing his father really reiterated to me is that you expect things to be different you know, they expected it to be different when Dan Lanning left, and it wasn't. It was just as good, or maybe even better, with Coach uh, Chidera Uzo Deribe. They expected the feelings to be different, and it wasn't. It was actually heightened. The Wayne family, man, they got that connection there with Keely Ringo, where that's a great roadmap, where Keely has told them, hey, man, you're going to have to work your tail off. It's going to be really, really hard, but they're going to treat you like family, and they're going to get you where you want to go, provided you do all those things. And that's really what any recruit wants. The other thing the Waynes have been doing, Brendan, is they've been doing their homework. They've been following the Milton story, even Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers. They see how a lot of guys from out of state, even in that specific time zone out on the West Coast, they come to Georgia and they really plug and play and they really thrive well at Georgia. So the word that Jeff Sintel used the very inter- the beginning of that clip, I find it be very interesting. He says, yes, it is quite realistic that Georgia could win the recruiting battle for the five-star edge rusher, Jaden Wang. That's the question I asked him on Friday is, Jeff, how realistic is all of this? You saw the 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 official visit pictures when he's holding the washington state flag up and obviously traveling a long way to come to georgia and seemingly has liked a lot about what he's seen there at uga but jeff says this is realistic because of how wayne and his family see the way in which other pacific time zone players have come to georgia been treated very well and had a very good time including ringo who adam gorney the rivals reporter had a picture of with jane wayne from just the other day so all of this gets really interesting, and all of this sets the stage for what should be a pretty fun month of June for Georgian recruiting, which it's playing very well right now in the minds of the very biggest prospects in the sport. A lot of those expected to visit Georgia in the upcoming days. A few of them have already visited Georgia, including the five-star guy, Jaden Wayne, who looks at the success story that other West Coast guys have had since coming to UGA and maybe envisioning himself traveling a similar path i will tell you to make sure you check out uh the story that jeff also had last week talking a little bit more in depth with wayne's father about some of the things they like there about uga pretty good stuff so as we tell you about that i'll also transition to something completely different here right now as i speak to you here on this tuesday morning this today the kickoff of what should be a pretty big week around the sec with the sec spring meetings in destin florida our own mike griffith is on uh hand there he'll be reporting there live from that 
before this day is done, Georgia coach Kirby Smart, other key figures will speak to the media there and obviously a chance to hear some regular football stuff from Smart. And that'll, that'll certainly be interesting. But also the, the big chatter to come out of what's going to go down in Destin, Florida here this week is going to be related to what the future of the SEC is going to look like. And in some respects, and I'll probably do more of this later on the show, in some respects, some of this is just going to be conjecture, like how much voice is given to the idea that maybe the SEC would break off from the rest of the what we think of as kind of the FBS world of college football, the frustrations that have mounted over the inability to expand the playoff and what has been a little bit of a almost an act of spite on the part of some of the leagues who've gone against this despite the fact at one point in time they were all in agreement that going from four to 12 is the right thing to do then they decided not to do that there's a little frustration outside the sec about the league because they believe it kind of acted somewhat uh i guess less than in a forthcoming fashion when it added texas and oklahoma so there's right now a little bit of bad blood and this is not just you know like message board fodder this is real stuff uh the sec versus some of the other entities within college football over how you know the expansion was handled by the sec what the future of the expansion of the college football playoff might look like you know how much saber rattling goes on down there in destin about what the sec might be willing to do in the future and how much talk is there about you know how to handle what some people kind of view as kind of a chaotic environment right now around transfer portal and name image likeness and oh yeah by the way nick saban and jimbo fisher just were at each other's throats over this a few days ago now they'll be in the same place here in uh, destin florida and there any additional fireworks that come from all of that but most of all that's going to probably just be conjecture it's one of those things that maybe somebody gives you a volatile quote but it won't be actually any change coming to the league the one big change that we could i think see coming out of what happens in destin here this week is we could find out a whole lot more about what the future of sec football scheduling is going to look like and Right now, the SEC plays eight conference games with 14 teams in the league. But coming up soon, there are going to be two additional teams in the league, which would seem to either, however you look at this, bring about the opportunity to make some schedule changes if you want to, or the necessity to make some schedule changes for those who just feel like the current model has gotten a little too stale, a little too boring, a little too whatever else. So what's at stake here seems to be the uh, dissolution of divisions. There may not be any divisions anymore. May not be any East. May not be any West in the in the future for the SEC. And suddenly George would go from playing what six teams each and every year in a rotational uh, basis to other teams. All of a sudden now Georgia might only be playing three teams each year moving forward and the rest of the league schedule will be all uh, rotating games. So you'd see, for instance, maybe Kentucky a lot less, but a team like, say, Texas A&M a lot more frequently than you've currently seen. This seems to be one of those things that has, I think, a certain level of popularity. It seems like more people are in favor of a change like this than against it. I, in the past, have said I thought the SEC's divisions actually worked out pretty well for the league. I thought the league had done a pretty good job of creating a distinctive identity around its two divisions. Uh, But it seems like most people kind of want something a little bit different than that as I get tangled up in my wires there for a second. Pardon me on that. Uh, But the point is, is it one way or another? It seems like we're heading for something that's going to be a little different in the future, which obviously brings the question of, well, who is it that Georgia would play on an annual basis if you're going from six permanent opponents, your division opponents, to now just three? 
well, I think most Georgia fans would say, hey, you've got to find a way to play Georgia-Florida every year, and you've got to try to find a way to play Georgia-Auburn every year. And then the third team, there'd be some debate about who that might be. But Georgia-Florida, Georgia-Auburn, those would be the must-haves if you wanted to have this sort of scheduling piece in place for the future. Well, last week, Josh Brooks, the Georgia Athletic Director uh, there at the Athletic Board meeting in Lake Oconee, was asked about that, about, you know, what will you argue for? What do you want to see in place? What are Georgia's must-haves when it comes to a future scheduling model going forward? Let me show you Brooks here. I'll read this to you, a quote from our buddy Mike Griffith that was there to get this. He says about when it comes to scheduling stuff, those things are important. But again, we're one sixteenth of the league, right? So we can push what's important to us. But again, we're one of 16 teams that votes and we're very respectful uh, respectful of the conference and what direction we go. We're working through different options. That's Josh Brooks. You can read more of that story there at dognation.com. And as I mentioned a moment ago, in addition to, well, who do you play every year and who are you rotating? The other big thing that could come out here is, does the SEC move to a nine-game conference schedule from an eight-game conference schedule? And if you're Georgia, what does that mean for all of these big, high-profile non-conference series that Georgia's added over the course of the last couple of years? You know, we're kind of, you know, when those things were first added, you know, back in the past, it seemed like it was way into the future that all those games are going to be played. But the truth is, is, you know, this year Georgia's playing Oregon. Next year, Georgia's scheduled to travel to Oklahoma as a non-conference game prior to the Sooners' arrival in the SEC. And then after that, it's pretty much big non-conference matchups each and every year. What happens to the future of those games if Georgia, you know, is a part of a nine uh, you know, team conference schedule there in the SEC. All these are big questions, and all this is still be to be uh, determined. But when you look towards Destin, Florida this week, and those SEC spring meetings that are taking place, this is, I, I think, the the most likely big news that could come out. How the SEC football schedules could be on their way to a pretty big change. We may find out some about that here this week. So stay tuned for a lot more. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And uh, happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 945. We'll get going there for our first and 15, 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, from the radio at noon. Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref. We're available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. So happy to have all of you with us on the uh, program today and so happy to have our friends at engineered solutions of georgia a part of this uh as well you know engineered solutions of georgia i love making the recommendation of them for you because i know the great work they do for you when it comes to your foundation your waterproofing issues and listen if you're a homeowner you understand this these are very big things these are things that you need to take good care of when it comes to uh, all that kind of stuff whether it be when you see the rain show up I had a little bit of rain last night on the porch enjoyed a little summertime shower but for some of you the presence of that rain you know listen you know that brings in all kinds of water to your crawl space your basement your garage the sign the things aren't just quite right things aren't quite what they are supposed to be and you know listen that's that's one of those issues one of those things you got to get uh, corrected also the foundation you see those cracks in your wall you know that's a sign of trouble you know that's not a very good thing well this is where you my friends at engineered solutions george can step up they can do great work for you you know they're pride partners of uga we love that they're also longtime friends of ours 
here at Dog Nation, which we all love that there as well. And we know they're a solutions-based company that wants to do great work for you when you're dealing with those foundation, those waterproofing issues. They got an entire team of engineers on staff. There's nobody else that can say that uh, here in this area. And they're going to put all of the expertise to work for you to get you taken care of when it comes to your foundation, your waterproofing issues. So make sure you give them a call. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. Uh, you can get in touch with them. They'll do good stuff for you. It's our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. So make sure you check them out on all of that. All right, we're going to get Connor Riley here coming up in just a moment for a Kroger Fresh Take. And we'll talk to Connor about some of the things that have happened around UGA as of late, including what's next for Georgia offensively after the big contract extension for Todd Munkin. We had our take on that a couple of days last week and also some yesterday there as well. So we'll do more of that with Connor Riley here coming up in just a moment, too. But before that, I want to go around the doghouse. And I told you we had a little bit of uh, oddball stuff on today's show. Do you remember Georgia linebacker Nate McBride? McBride was always a big fan favorite here at UGA, former big recruit, one of the first high profile members of that transformational recruiting class for Georgia back in 2017 and so for a number of reasons you know McBride always had kind of a special place in the eyes of a lot of UGA fans because you know he was just kind of a pivotal figure at the time which Kirby Smart was just kind of getting things going and frankly you know four-star and five-star linebackers are no big deal to UGA it seems now uh they are in play for all the nation's best when it comes to that but listen when Smart was first kind of getting this program up and established that was still a pretty big deal to go out there and win one of the state's best uh McBride had a great commitment video back on dog nation kind of the early days of our website so there's a lot of fun stuff related to nate and his uga career and in fact as a way of maybe reminding you if you've forgotten here was uh, our buddy chip towers asking mcbride back when he's still a georgia player this is i think from 2019 about just the level of fascination that seemed to exist around him and how much fans seemed to like mcbride always a very popular player despite the fact that he never quite played as much maybe as some folks thought he would at the beginning of his career but this was mcbride back in 2019 then after after this, I'll explain why this is relevant for today. Do you realize that you have this sort of fan fascination about like, where's Nate McBride? Why is it, why is it Nate starting? Or when, when's he going to start? Or uh, that kind of thing. I've heard a little bit of that. I mean, I'm just, I'm just working. It, it, it's all in God's plan. I, I can't rush anything, and um, I'm still having fun here. I love this place. I love the guys I'm around. I've grown very close to them, and if I need somebody to talk to, they're going to talk to me. So it's, it's nice having that. So obviously you can hear McBride there, and you get a sense of why it was that he was so popular. He really did enjoy UGA. I remember I talked to him one time about you know all the great linebackers that Georgia had recruited after he came in, and basically asking if that was you know frustrating for him to know that listen you know you come here and then Georgia probably recruits the linebacker position maybe as well if not better than anyone had ever done it um you know kind of after he arrived at Georgia and he had the best attitude about that it was frankly as a big dog fan very happy to see all the great players there at UGA and just had the right perspective the right attitude it's one of the reasons why folks seem to like him as much as they did well all of that is to say this is that McBride has kind of found himself uh, a little bit of a home here apparently in a completely different sport 
Nate McBride was on the pit crew team, apparently. I didn't know any of this. Maybe I should have. For Denny Hamlin, Hamlin winning the uh, the the race in Charlotte over the weekend. Let me show you a couple of these photos. You see uh, McBride there in the background of that one celebrating. That's the set, if you're watching a video, center of your screen right there at the top. That's McBride, very happy and enjoying himself. I believe we have another one of these we can show you there as well, celebrating with the team. On this one, he's more in the uh, left side there, kind of once again also in the background. But a part of that pit crew team for Hamlin over the course of the weekend, I don't know. Some I don't know why I think this is really really cool but I do uh it's just kind of neat to see uh to make McBride enjoying that and doing well with that and I don't know obviously you know that Chase Elliott's a big UGA fan so maybe this is kind of a start of something for Georgia NASCAR we've had kind of like the dogs on tour and golf where all the former UGA players are now PGA Tour golfers obviously there's a huge representation for the dogs in the NFL is there a little bit of a NASCAR dogs thing getting ready to get started here? Dogs on the track with uh, Chase Elliott and now maybe Nate McBride doing some stuff as a uh, pit crew member and plenty of other UGA fans around NASCAR there as well. That's kind of a nice thing to see. McBride, who was at one point in time a beloved dog, now also doing some pretty big stuff there on the NASCAR circuit too. So congratulations on being a part of that big win with uh, Denny Hamlin in Charlotte there over the course of the weekend. Obviously a huge motorsports weekend with the Indy 500 and the Monaco Grand Prix and obviously the uh, Charlotte event there as well. Probably the biggest weekend for motorsports of the year is the memorial day weekend so nice to see a dog there a part of that in charlotte all right before we're done with today's show a little more recruiting stuff a little more in the sec spring meetings but for now on everything happening around uga let's get a kroger fresh take and talk to connor riley here on dog nation daily today and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, so nice to see a big weekend there from uh, Nate McBride and hope Connor Riley also had himself a big weekend there too. I know he's a big Celtics fan, so the Celtics moving on to the NBA Finals. I'm certainly some, I'm certain that's something that he uh, celebrated uh, quite uh, boisterously here over the course of the weekend. So, uh, Connor, welcome into the show for you. Thank you for being here for a Kirk Fresh Take on Dog Nation Daily here today. Yeah, I, I think I can now relate a little bit to how Georgia fans were feeling in the fourth quarter of that national title game because uh, in the fourth quarter and watching the uh, Celtics almost blow it there at the end, uh, I was not in a good place mentally, but they found a way to win and they're going to the finals for the first time since 2010, so I'm excited for that. Of course, the Boston teams, all they have done is win between the Bruins and Celtics and the Patriots and the Red Sox. It feels like they've had quite a number of championships to celebrate. So unfortunately for UGA fans, myself included, who were – you know, uh, wrestling with this thing uh, back in January. We didn't quite have the same track record of uh, success to maybe fall back on to ease our nerves or ease our tension during any of that. Yeah, 14 years for the last Celtics title does not obviously equate to the 41 years that Georgia went between titles there. So certainly understand that. But when you're close as often as the Celtics have been in recent years like Georgia has been, at a certain point, that doesn't matter. You just want to see your team get over them. So SEC spring meetings getting going in Destin here this week. I think it should be really interesting, both in terms of the tangible news that probably will get broken, something related to the schedule, but also the potential conjecture about how much the SEC is willing to rock the boat going forward when it comes to college athletics. What's your expectation for what happens here in Destin? Yeah, by the way, we haven't even gotten into the fact that Nick Saban and uh, 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 Jimbo Fisher will be in the same room again for the first time since their big blow up. Uh, What's your expectation for what goes down the Florida Panhandle here this week? Not much. I I think the biggest thing will just be deciding on that sort of final scheduling format and and ultimately what that looks like and having a better idea of 
how that is going to look going forward and what this conference decides to do, because I do think they have an opportunity to sort of say, okay, this is what we envision the future of college football being, because while I don't think we're going to get the full-blown separatist movement and, and all that comes with that and then moving away and, and, you know, potentially maybe having their own playoff one day, I do think they can sort of set the agenda here and be leaders in this what I think we all agree is going to be a post-college football world without the NCAA involvement. And so I think this is a big step for the league. And, you know, we've talked about Greg Sankey a lot here. I think he's done a really good job as a commissioner for Georgia. And he, the, the SEC has often been a leader uh, in, in recent years on some of this stuff. And I expect with new schedule outlooks, you know, going away with divisions, obviously the SEC is not the first to do that. But like you, I do think there is, there are, there's an appetite out there to see something of a divisional format or something along the lines of that going forward. What that ultimately is, I'm not smart enough to figure out, but I have belief that Greg Sankey and the athletic directors and coaches in this, in this conference can come up with something that I think appeases a lot of people. I mean, to me, when I try to do this in my head, the one thing I keep coming back to is it's a lot easier to create two big divisions that are somewhat equal than it is to create four, I'll call them subdivisions, that are also similarly equal. It's it, it just when you start breaking these teams into groups of four, if that's what you're going to do, and I don't believe that's what they're going to do, but if, or at least that's not the sense that I get, but trying to do four, what do you call them, pods or subdivision, whatever you call them, creating four groups of four that are somewhat comparatively equal, that's just a lot more difficult to do, I would say. Yeah, and that's why I, I agree with you there. I don't think there's an appetite to go to the quote-unquote pod system there. I, I think what we're in all likelihood going to end up seeing is, is three protected annual games and then a rotation of six games. That way, if I'm doing the math correctly here off the top of my head, you'll get to see every SEC school over the course of a four-year window. Uh, I, I think that's what a lot of people want to see because I, and I'll even admit this, you know, it is ridiculous that uh, by the time Georgia ultimately visits Texas A&M in 2024, they'll have been a, a league member for 12 years. And it'll be Georgia's first time visiting Kyle field. Like I do think we've got to get a way to figure that out. And while yes, you know, you want more trips to Oklahoma, you want more trips to Texas. At the same point in time, the thing you have to weigh there is, how often do you really want to be going to Starkville, Mississippi? How often do you really want to be going to, you know, Fayetteville, Arkansas? And even if we, you know, do away with divisions, you know, Columbia, Missouri, Lexington, Kentucky, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see. I, I think there's been a big push to see all these venues and locations. Given that we're going to move away from that, we're going to lose a lot of, you know, I think Tennessee, Georgia is on the chopping block. I, I think maybe Florida LSU is going to be on the chopping block in terms of rivalry games that aren't protected there. Is it worth sacrificing some of those to, to get to see Georgia, Mississippi State more frequently, Alabama, Kentucky more frequently, things along those lines? Those are all sort of things the SEC is weighing here, and it'll be interesting to see ultimately what decision they come up with. So I think the Florida LSU is a very interesting thing here because, like, this to me is the way that college football is supposed to work. Like, when Florida and LSU first started playing each other on a yearly basis, I would say that's not a rival. It was just two teams that were playing. But in recent years, because they have had this continued history of coming back and playing each other, all of a sudden it did feel like a rivalry. You had some actual bad blood that kind of erupted between these two teams. I guess most famously going back a few years ago when they had the dispute over like where the game was supposed to be played after the you know the the, the hurricane. 
But there's been like some real legitimate bad blood between Florida and LSU. You had the weird stuff on the sideline with like the voodoo type like stuff they've kind of you know done. You've had some weird. Stuff. I don't even know how to describe it to be honest with you. But you've had some. You've had some real legitimate bad blood that's shown up between Florida and LSU, which to me like everybody wants to seemingly kind of gravitate towards what haven't we seen, what's new. But there is something to be said for when you do the same thing over and over enough, eventually some of this stuff does truly become a rivalry. Now, I don't think that Florida LSU is so sacred that you can't break it up in exchange for something better. But my point here is it just goes to show you that if you kind of show up and let the same two teams play long enough, eventually they'll find a way to hate each other. And I do think to that point there, that's something you're potentially punting away if you do go to the three protected sort of rivalry games there. You know, obviously Georgia will want to keep Florida and Auburn on the schedule every year. And then my guess is it's going to be South Carolina because you have to find a sort of third team for them. I know people would maybe like to see Tennessee. Maybe they'd like to see a Vanderbilt because they'd like to go to Nashville every other year. Uh, I I do think that those are some of the things that you're going to be giving up. I'll throw another game out there. Uh, LSU, Texas A&M. Boy, thinking out, maybe LSU just has a lot of beef with a lot of people, but that's a rivalry that I think has really ratcheted up in recent seasons there. Um, you know, there's some thought that maybe Alabama and LSU don't play on an annual basis anymore. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. Texas A&M, Alabama, you know, that, that rivalry is certainly, I think, starting to heat up. They've had a couple of really big games in the time since the Aggies have joined the league. And I don't think there's any chance that if they're doing protected rivalries, Alabama and A&M is going to be one on there. But to your larger point there, that's a game where those teams have played a bunch. There's a lot of shared history there. And that's sort of built up into, you know, ultimately reaching the boiling point this offseason of making, I think, that Texas A&M-Alabama game the most interesting and exciting game on the college football schedule. So let's just do this very fast. I want to change the subject. I'm a lot more of a traditionalist than you are. But when I look at the games in the SEC that have to take place, it's Georgia-Florida, it's Georgia-Auburn, it's Auburn, Alabama. It's Alabama, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas, Texas A&M. Is there another game that has to happen? Because like you can say, well, what about Alabama, Texas A&M? The truth is that seems interesting right now because of what's going on right now. But over the course of decades, I don't know that's a have-to type game. Is there another have-to type game that I didn't mention? Or is there one of those games I didn't mention that you don't think is a have-to? Uh, I think we have to include Ole Miss, Mississippi State in there, the Egg Bowl. Um, I would maybe also include Ole Miss, LSU in there. That that game usually played around Halloween. There's some significant history in the in the in the span of that rivalry there. Um, I would I would also and, and this might be a little stretch, and the audience may love this. I throw Tennessee and Florida in there for what that game has meant over the last you know 20, 30 years. There, I think that's a really good example of that organically becoming a really important rivalry so there's probably i would say a dozen games that i think would have to be protected but again the big thing this is what the sec is going to have to weigh is are those 12 games worth eschewing everything else that i think has made this conference great just so that we can see alabama vanderbilt more often or more frequently rather uh florida arkansas are those games worth sacrificing you know, those, you know, obviously not, we have to keep those tier games, but that right below it, you know, Florida LSU, um, uh, you know, Arkansas LSU, things along those lines, 
you know, that those teams have played for a long time against each other. Is that worth sacrificing? I want to change the subject here for a moment. Uh, Todd Munkin's getting a big raise, $2 million a year. That's going to put him right there in line with the highest paid assistants in the uh, in, in the country. And on yesterday's show, I talked about a stat that I wasn't aware of. Uh, Athlon Sports had this in their little blurb on Georgia in their preseason top 25. The Georgia actually led the SEC last year in scoring per game against conference opponents. Nobody scored more points versus SEC competition last year than George did, which to me speaks to the level of success that Munkin has found while being a Georgian. You've also heard me say this now plenty, that I think there's even more success to be had here for this comp- uh, upcoming season there as well. A couple of things here. How significant is the big race for Munkin in your mind, and what do you think this means about where Georgia is going forward here? Yeah, as far as Todd Munkin's you know, pay scale, there isn't a number, I, I think, out there that equates to what he means to this Georgia program. And if, if, you know, he is granted getting up there in age and you wonder if he's ever going to get a head coaching opportunity again, but if he's content to, to be the offensive coordinator at Georgia for the next couple of years, I don't see how you look at what he did for this program. Really the last two years where I'll say it because of the injuries and the instability at the quarterback position, maybe they've been a little bit hamstrung by what he's been able to do. And they still, as you point out there, had an incredibly productive offense last year. And, I think are really well positioned now going into year three to somehow be even better than they were a season ago. We'll see if they're able to execute to that level to get to the 42 point threshold that you sort of touted before. But, you know, as far as a salary number, uh, 2 million is now, I believe he is the highest paid assistant and the, the assistants that were all making over 2 million last year are all now head coaches. Uh, if Todd Munkin wanted $2.5 million, pay him that. If he wanted $3 million, dare I say, even pay him that. He is, I think, that important and that integral to what Georgia is wanting to do. And you know, we're all sort of still waiting on the Kirby Smart extension. I do wonder going forward as we see these mega deals that you know Mel Tucker, James Franklin, Jimbo Fisher, that all these guys got – you know, as money maybe becomes a little bit, you know, more important how you delegate some of that, whether it be NIL facilities, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe coaches, head coaches start taking a little bit less, not, not, not a substantial amount, but say, you know, instead of Kirby making 10 million, he only makes 9 million and is allowing that money to be spread elsewhere. I think that's one of the interesting trickle downs of NIL. And I'm going to be really interested to sort of see how head coaching salaries adjust this now economics would tell you that, you know, prices at that level don't really go down, but I will be interested to sort of see what this Munkin extension, him becoming the highest paid offensive coordinator in the country, what that means for Kirby Smart. It's interesting about this yesterday. We recorded this with John on Thursday when he was there in Lake Oconee for the athletic board meeting. John's on the athletic board, but I basically said the same thing to him, or at least I brought up the same premise, which is, when Kirby Smart's contract is announced, I don't think it's going to be received well by people outside Dog Nation. I think it's going to be turned into, uh, oh, there's no money to pay the players, but they're paying this guy $10 million a year, whatever it's going to be. And I don't necessarily think that's fair. I think Kirby Smart's earned every dollar that George is about to pay him. But I do believe it's going to be received more negatively than whatever Dabo Sweeney got paid when that was announced or or, or, Kirby, or Nick Saban before that. The previous times which big coaches have been given big raises, for the most part, that's kind of in and out of the headlines within you know a few minutes. Whereas I do believe that the Kirby Smart contract, when it's announced, is going to be a springboard for people to criticize the current you know nature of the college you know economic model or whatever else i do believe there'll be some negative blowback that comes outside of dog nation for the kirby smart contract when it isn't when it is announced 
Yeah, and I, I think that's just part of sort of when this contract get, gets announced. You know, Ryan Day recently, he got a $9.5 million pay bump or a pay bump up to $9.5 million. And nobody was really batting an eye. But because Kirby is sort of the last one, or it's essentially him and Nick Saban, and, and granted Kirby won a national title last year and was making less than Dan Mullen to start the season, uh, you're going to see a substantial pay increase there. And I just think because he's going to essentially reset the coaching market, whereas if you are a, a national title winner, not named Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney, you're now going to make 10 million or X million, whatever it ultimately ends up being at your new job. That's going to just naturally invite more blowback there. But again, you know, similar to Todd Munkin, Kirby Smart was brought in to win championships. I, I think the going rate for a national championship winning head coach is between 9.5 and $10.5 million. I, I think Kirby Smart has shown that he is able to elevate Georgia to a championship, not just a winning program, but a program that on a year-in, year-out basis can contend for, for a national championship. And that is just sort of the going rate, the modern economics and market that comes with you know being a championship-level head coach. All right, two things more on this. I want to do this very quickly. I think the other thing that's significant about the Munkin Rays now making $2 million a year is I think a lot of Georgia fans have a tendency to want to blame Kirby when something goes wrong with the offense. If they think it's too conservative, if they think the wrong player's playing, I think there is this criticism that Kirby gets of, oh, he's so set in his ways or he's so old school or he's so whatever else, that essentially he is asserting his will and that Todd Munkin is only, you know, there as like window dressing as the offensive coordinator. But that may have been true if he was making 900 grand, but at $2 million, First of all, I don't think it was true, but you could have even more easily said that when he was paid a lot less money. But now making $2 million a year, coming back for year three, I think you have to now fully assume without any reason for arguing differently, this is Todd Munkin's offense. And whatever you see on the field, including the players who are playing, this is what Munkin wants to do. So if something goes wrong, it's not Kirby who takes the blame here. It's the guy that Kirby is delegated to, Todd Munkin, which will take the blame or get the credit when it succeeds, whatever else. But this whole notion of you know conservative Kirby is the reason the offense is whatever it is. I think this raise for Munkin once again is an argument against that narrative. Yeah, yeah, I have to pull a, a Justin Tell here and make a, a way too dated reference from, from the 90s, but more money, more problems. And, and that's sort of what Todd Munkin is stepping into. But Todd Munkin was stepping into that regardless. You look back at, at James Coley's one year as the offensive coordinator there, and maybe to your point, Kirby got a lot more flack there than maybe he deserved, given Coley probably was heavily involved in the offense at that point in time. But, you know, as the offensive coordinator, Georgia, you're going to be widely criticized if you're not scoring 50 points a game there. And Munkin obviously knows that and understands that. That's part of the job. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. And so I think, you know, and this is this might come off as me saying, oh, this is the media is saying we should talk to Todd Munkin more. I think when we heard Todd Munkin speak before the Alabama and Michigan playoff games, you got a lot better sense of, okay, this actually is his offense because what he is saying in those press conferences directly carries over to the field. And that's not to say that Kirby isn't eloquent when speaking about the Georgia offense. That's not, He absolutely is. But when you hear it as directly and as forcefully as we heard it from Munkin there, we get a much better idea that, this is his offense. These are the, the principles and the things that he fundamentally believes in. And so often during the regular season, we don't get to hear from Todd Munkin. We get to hear from him in August. And then if we're lucky, we get to hear from him during bowl season. And so I think when Kirby's whole one voice mantra, when you're the only one speaking so often about the offense 
and you sort of you come into this figure that gets more criticized perhaps than you should. And I think that's sometimes been the case under Kirby Smart. And so now Munkin is making $2 million that we did get to hear from him a bit more at the end of last season. I don't think we'll get to hear from him any bit more this season. But because I think fans know more and more about what to expect from a Todd Munkin offense, I do think that there is going to be a greater shift into attention of what Munkin is out there doing. All right, last thing very quickly on this subject, and then I want to talk about one more thing before we're done. This is a little bit of a crackpot theory. Totally acknowledge this. But I think it's really weird how little credit Todd Munkin has gotten from the larger college football world for the success that he's enjoyed at UGA. I just think this is kind of strange. And in one respect, it's actually kind of worked out pretty well for Georgia in that when the coaching carousel stuff was spinning this past offseason, like Munkin's name didn't really show up. I mean, there was a report that he had turned down the LSU offensive coordinator job, but in terms of group of five head coach or whatever else, like Munkin just never really became a huge factor in all that discussion, even though I think by virtue of his performance, he probably should have been. I'm glad that he's not leaving Georgia, but I just thought it was weird he wasn't being talked about more than he was. All of that is to say this. You know how like when Georgia will offer a recruit and people assume, well, gosh, if Georgia's offering me, he must be pretty good, so therefore let's offer him too. Now that Georgia's paying Todd Munkin $2 million a year, do you think now he gets more notice for the job that he's doing? And even though the big raise is supposed to make it more likely that Georgia keeps him, does this put a spotlight on his performance that Georgia thinks he's worth $2 million, therefore he's more of a head coaching candidate than he was before because of the way that Georgia's validated him with this big contract it just gave him? Crackpot theory, I totally understand, uh, but I'm not quite so sure I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah, you know, I love your uh, conspiracy theories, but I can't quite follow you here on this one. I think the, the one thing to keep in mind here is Todd Munkin at one point was a group of five head coach not that long ago at Southern Miss, and he did not exactly leave there on the best terms, taking a job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their offensive coordinator later on in the coaching cycle and sort of left that Southern Miss program in maybe not the best place, and certainly in terms of the time that he had left that program. And so I – Sorry, you repeat that. So they've had like four coaches since he left or something crazy like that. They have been in a pretty rough spot since he left. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I, I think when it comes to Munkin, you know, I think he was only leaving to be a power five head coach. And for whatever reason, that didn't materialize. But again, like you go back, you take us back a year ago. If I told you that Georgia wins a national championship, we're probably both expecting that Todd Munkin and Dan Lanning are going to get hired to be head coaches elsewhere. It was essentially going to be the last season because that would speak to sort of success that Georgia had. And the reality is Georgia sort of, you know, I think got in a really good spot with Todd Munkin and, you know, other than LSU giving him, you know, that offer, I sort of think it speaks to Todd Munkin having the recognition of, sure, I could go grind it out in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi or Murfreesboro, Tennessee, whatever group of five location you want. But unless there's a clear power five job and more specifically, probably a power five job that he can win at, uh, I, I find it hard to believe there are many jobs out there better than offensive coordinator at Georgia where a uh, head coach in Kirby Smart has shown time and time again, he's going to give you carte blanche to really call your offense, design your offense and let you do what you want to on that side of the ball. Something that isn't true at say an Ohio state where you have Ryan day or a Lincoln Riley at USC. Georgia is very clearly 
one of the premier jobs in the country. And it's also a job where if you're an offensive coordinator, you're going to have free reign to do what you want and implement the style and scheme that you want to. It's a Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Riley here right now. Don't forget, Kroger's got the great new Boost membership program for you there as well. It's just $59 a year. That's, that's what membership options start at. And you get all kinds of great opportunities coming off of that, whether it be free grocery delivery on certain situations or twice the fuel points you get a chance to earn there as well. Lots of great incentives, features, and benefits to you when you sign up to be a member with Kroger Boost. So check out Kroger.com slash Boost for a lot more on that. That's Kroger.com slash Boost. And you can check out a lot more on that today. Connor, one thing before I uh, will let you go, I know you've written about this and I myself was a little bit frustrated about it. We've got game time announcements for Georgia, traditional spot for Georgia, Florida, 3.30, same time for the season opener there against Oregon. But already we know of two noon games for the dogs here in the 2022 season now one of those is a road game so maybe you like the idea of diminishing the fan impact there in williams bryce stadium it's going to be 297 degrees there on that particular day in columbia the georgia kent state game is also uh, at noon also i don't know connor even one of the national championship you still can't escape these noon games if you're a georgia fan a little bit of a disappointment what did you make of it yeah, I was really interested to sort of see that Georgia got specifically those two game times there. You know, I can understand, you know, Oregon, Oregon, Georgia being a 330 kickoff, given it's Notre Dame visiting Ohio State. It, it, you know, Notre Dame is a bigger brand than Oregon is. And so I get and understand that. But you've got a defending national champion going on the road for the first time that season in, in a hostile environment where, I mean, that game's going to be played on the surface of the sun and, and it's it's going to be difficult conditions. and. I mean, heck, based on everything I've read this offseason, Spencer Rattler is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And so, I, you know, I, I guess I was really befuddled by the fact that that game's given a noon kickoff time on ESPN when the 330 that game is Auburn-Penn State. Neither of those teams won more than seven games a season ago. The 6 o'clock game is Mississippi State-LSU. I'm sorry, but that's not a better game than Georgia-South Carolina where they're – South Carolina plays Arkansas the week before Georgia. Now they're going to be a point spread underdog, but they could win that game. And you can mock, you know, the attention that Rattler's gotten and understand where you're coming from on that. But the truth is a quarterback like that gives them a chance to pull that upset on the road. What if they are undefeated having just won at Arkansas hosting at Georgia and the game is kicking off at noon? It seems incredibly short-sighted to me. Yeah. And again, you know, Georgia won a national championship last year and you know, sure, they blew a lot of teams out, and maybe there's a thought that they might do that again. But I just think, you know, especially when I look at that 330 CBS game, Auburn-Penn State, and sure, I know that game did very well when that game was played at Nittany Stadium last year, but I don't think either of those teams are going to be all that good this season. And I think there's a, a you know, a widespread idea out there that Brian Harson's going to be gone after after this season. And if, if, if Auburn's losing badly in that game against Penn State on the road, uh, with Penn State being on the road, you know, it could get nasty there. And, and I, I, you know, again, I just, cool. Brian Kelly went from the Notre Dame head coach to LSU, but Georgia won a national championship last year. And, and I think, you know, them going on the road and playing in a hostile environment is better than, you know, LSU hosting the, what, the fourth or fifth most talented SEC West team. And that's, I think, being generous to Mississippi State there. I, I get Texas A&M, Miami is the nine o'clock game. I understand that, you know, that, Given the 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 off season that both Miami and Texas A&M have, I get that that being the sort of primetime game there that day. But I mean, for that to get a noon kickoff, and then the week after that, you know, obviously the noon the noon start time isn't great for the home fans. But 
If you're watching this game from home, you're going to have to jump through some hoop because this game is not on regular ESPN or SEC Network. It is SEC Network Plus. And if you're a person like me who has you know, parents who, let's just put it nicely, are not exactly you know, technology savants, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge to get this game on your television and to be able to watch this game there. And so I think it's if you're a Georgia fan, yeah, you probably should be a little miffed that you have those two games that early in the season when Georgia's probably still going to be a top five team, provided they beat Oregon in week one, to have to jump through those hoops and get those sort of game times. I just find it very, very interesting that Georgia's getting is coming off of a national championship. Yeah, that's pretty interesting stuff. So I didn't realize it's on streaming internet. That's awful. That's mm-hmm. awful. So bad. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it's just kind of a mess. Uh, Connor, great stuff. Thanks for being here for the uh, Kroger Fresh Take here today. We'll look forward to reading all of that and more from you there at dognation.com. And, of course, chatting here back with you again very soon also. I'll leave you with this, B.A. Please. It is easier to watch Dog Nation Daily on a daily basis than it is to watch the Georgia-Kent State game on September 24th. Look around the rest of the league. This is SEC through. That's actually very funny. Very funny indeed. So here's like one thing I'll admit, admit is there is a huge disconnect between like those of us and Connor and I are not really from the same like sort of generation from an age standpoint, but we are both kind of in that group of people that would prefer the games to be a little late or even road games, by the way, because there's an argument to be made that, hey, maybe you want your hostile road environment to be at noon. Um, you know, when it's so hot, maybe some of the South Carolina fans stay away, students especially. Maybe that takes some of the juice out of the stadium. You know, not as much time to tailgate out there in that State Fair parking lot. Maybe, you know, maybe that's the case. But there's still this sense that, you know, it's still better when the game is kind of a little bit, you know, more attractive. Later kickoff, it just feels a little bit bigger. It also helps me from a high school football standpoint, traveling from the night before to have a game a little later on Saturday. But that's probably more selfish uh, of me than anything else. But the disconnect here is, and Connor kind of touched on this, is that the games themselves on television with the noon rating, they do very well. Obviously, Fox has had lots of success with what it calls its big noon kickoff. I think some of this was from ESPN is trying to rival that noon TV window being a time in which people really want a nice game on television. Fox has done well with that. ESPN kind of wants to create some of that kind of stuff too. It's also fair to point out that if you're a big NFL fan, which I've always liked college football better, but if you're a big NFL fan, you're used to the overwhelming majority of your games taking place at 1 p.m. Now, there's a lot less tailgating with NFL games anyway. There's a you know cap on how long you can tailgate outside in some parking lots, three hours before kickoff, something along those lines. So, you know, the notion of the all-day tailgate is not as much of a thing in the NFL anyway. But the idea of playing the early kickoff-type game on Sunday has existed for a long time in that league. And it seems like earlier kickoffs may be around a little bit more so than some fans want to here in the world of uh, college football, maybe just sort of something to think about there when it comes to that. So at the SEC baseball tournament, oh, by the way, let me remind you, we're cruising around the SEC here, cur- uh, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. And boy, had a great time being out in the pool here this weekend. Got a nice little tan going there. You always love that. And all that reminds me of how much fun it'd be to be enjoying one of those pool decks on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. Because listen, when you're out there on the pool deck, there's so many cool things going on there, whether it be the multitude of pools, some of those for adults, you know, you want the the, the child only section there as well. You have you know the solarium area, which is just for adults to relax. But you've also got like the water slides, the Splashway Bay, and just so many fun little add-ons there uh, too to make this uh, a, a great experience. But enjoying the pool deck and being a part of that 
it's one of the things that uh, I think makes a uh, Royal Caribbean uh, cruise vacation so fun. In fact, I was just looking at Wonder of the Seas the other day. That's the brand new. It's the newest ship in the fleet, also the largest cruise ship in the world for now from our friends at Royal Caribbean and some of the stuff they've done to make the pool deck area even better. Created more like elevated seating and things like that. Uh, they have kind of an ocean view type bar they've added to all of this too. I just love the fact that with every new ship Royal Caribbean introduces into its fleet, they find a way to take the experience up a notch and take advantage of what everybody wants, which is great view of the ocean, great chance to be out uh, enjoying the pool area around as you're floating through those seas across the Caribbean. So uh, really fun stuff from our friends at uh, Royal Caribbean. And by the way, you can book your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation with our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. Great uh, group of folks, uh, UGA grads, they're going to help you kind of figure out which Royal Caribbean cruise ship is right for you. So make sure you check them out. Website TCAVA.com. That's TCAVA.com. You can also give them a call 770-952-8300. That's 770 770- 9528300 for a lot more on that. So SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey was at the SEC baseball tournament and he was doing an interview and kind of got some folks, you know, kind of stirred up there a little bit. One of the things he was asked about is, hey, what about this notion that the SEC may pull out and have its own SEC only playoff? And he kind of jokingly sidestepped that by saying, well, last year we basically did have an SEC only playoff, meaning the fact that Georgia and Alabama played for the national championship, which is a pretty good line from Sankey and a good way to sidestep the, the overall question. He also kind of ruffled some feathers because I guess at one point in time he was asked about the NCAA video game coming back, something EA Sports has talked openly about, the NIL era would seem to pave the way for that. And, you know, Sankey kind of disregarded that as a question, which made some fans mad online. But pretty obviously, uh, uh, Sankey's going to be kind of in the center stage here this week with the SEC spring meetings taking place. And, like, here's the one thing to understand when it comes to the idea that maybe one day, you know, what people describe as an SEC only playoff, I think that actually may be kind of a, um, a misunderstood description here. Like, ultimately, what is going on in college athletics right now is is there is an opportunity for someone to gain some power there is an opportunity for someone to take control of all of this and it's been suggested i think like what gene smith the ohio state athletic director and others have said hey you know maybe all of this should just be under the auspices of the college football playoff maybe they should just run college football but if you're a guy like greg sankey who's done a pretty good job of running his own league i think you're left to say why should I willingly cede this power to somebody else? Why shouldn't I make my own case as the person that I lead college athletics and create a version of the SEC that might be, you know, almost as big as what we think of as big time college athletics, more expansion opportunities to potentially come, in other words, in all of that, that part of this discussion is not, you know, would the SEC have an SEC only playoff, but would some of the leadership structure in place of the SEC one day lead whatever the future of the college football playoff postseason scheduling format would look like that, that a lot of this it sort of seems like it's about money in some respects it's also about power and you know who gets to be the decision maker for what college sports looks like in the future and my guess is someone like greg sankey wants to certainly throw his hat into the ring for that competition competition by the way speaking of competition NCAA baseball competition getting ready to get going here the sec tournament is done georgia now knows it's postseason fate some late season conference loss is pretty much ruining any chance that georgia had to host a regional there have been some chatter like d1 baseball and others had georgia potentially traveling to statesboro to play georgia southern but as it turns out georgia will be going north to chapel hill regional hosted by north carolina also including a virginia commonwealth and hofstra 
So that's the division, or I should say the, the regional that Georgia finds itself in on the road with host UNC. Of course, the last time um, uh, there was an NCAA uh, or, or regional in Athens going back 2019, Georgia uh, lost Florida State. But the point here is, so they've had a little bit of experience with uh, ACC teams in recent regionals, but in Chapel Hill against North Carolina with Hofstra and VCU on hand for all of that. And then finally, one more SEC through note to give you. Remember Darren Branch, the former uh, Georgia Bulldog, who put his name in the transfer portal, and now Billy Embody, who uh, covers LSU, says that Branch is on his way to LSU as a non-scholarship player. I think I've got uh, something I can show you in the screen here from Billy Embody on the subject of Darren Branch. Can we show that on the screen here just for a second? Uh, Billy Embody's tweet on this of Branch going to LSU. We don't have that. I apologize. My bad on that. But Branch going to LSU, I guess, kind of paying his own way for right now, not on scholarship. And it's one of those things where, you know, maybe for a guy like that, just being back, you know, uh, home is all he really needs there. But also, you know, good good number of these players who um, – you know, kind of find themselves in that transfer portal situation, a larger number than maybe some people realize are actually kind of paying their own way there on that. So important to keep that in mind. We'll make that cruise run the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me also give you one more thing here before we get ready to say goodbye to you here today. We talked before about recruiting and obviously setting up to be a very big recruiting weekend for Georgia. Well, that big weekend gets even bigger with another announcement. I think that Jeff Santel is going to have a story for you on this at dognation.com coming later today. But Raylan Wilson, very impressive linebacker prospect out of the Lincoln program there in Tallahassee, says he's going to be officially visiting Georgia. Also coming up here on this June 3rd through the 5th weekend coming up. So my gosh, long list of big names, uh, Arch Manning and everybody else. Add Raylan Wilson in there on that. Major linebacker target coming to Georgia for a uh, big official visit. We know how big the month of June has become for many of these official visits. And now Wilson's name on that list for UGA right here at the beginning of the month. So something to keep in mind as we head towards the weekend, another major name added to that official visitors list there. Raylan Wilson, more from that coming from Jeff Sintel there at dognation.com. And of course, as we get ready to uh, wrap up here today, let's do that in style with our golden shoe. Many of you enjoying the Memorial Day weekend, you had your own version of fun and the sun going on, including our buddy Arnold Santiago, who will give a golden shoe win for today, enjoying some time here on the lake, saying, I want to submit this for the Golden Shoe Award, back at my parents' home, enjoying the lake with my family and loving this boat. Take a look at that UGA-themed boat there in the dock right there. How good does that look? Talk about great work to be done uh, on that little paint scheme there. So uh, good-looking stuff for sure. Golden shoe for a very nice-looking UGA-themed boat there on that. Hope all of you enjoyed your Memorial Day time with whatever it was you were doing. I'll tell you who's not had much to celebrate as of late. That's those lousy, stinking Gators. Gator Hater Updater been 4,891 days since they have won a national championship tough to be a gator on that also gator hater countdown dogs back in jacksonville 151 days from right now beating up on florida again y'all have a great day we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take your comments here the sec spring meetings in destin have started we have heard a little bit from georgia coach kirby smart the one quote i've seen from him thus far Related to being asked about the dust up between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban saying, I think the word he used was Mickey Mouse. That was a Mickey Mouse 
uh, you know, confrontation based on what he's used to hearing in the coaches' headsets. He said, y'all should be on the headsets if you want to hear some real, you know, stuff between coaches, which is probably a pretty funny way to get around having to talk too much about that. You know, Smart typically likes to sidestep certain issues like that. This is kind of a clever, creative way to do that. I also think it's probably true there as well. I mean, here's the thing. You know, it's like sitting in the press box, uh, you are sitting oftentimes between the coaches' boxes. So there are moments in which, you know, I can, with my own eyes, see the coaches' boxes. I can't always see the coaches' boxes, but every now and then I'll just kind of find myself in a position where I kind of see the coaches' box a little bit. Or you see, I, I see this actually pretty frequently. I see the coaches from the coaches' box, like running from, uh, you know, the the box down to st- downstairs or whatever else and i mean the game time stuff for these coaches during you know these games is very tense and you know what coaches say to each other in these particular moments it's easy to use your imagination and sometimes you, in some instances you don't have to use your imagination but you just know there's a certain level of you know intensity around all of that and so while kirby probably says what he says as a way of kind of jokingly dismissing it the honest truth is, is that there is probably something to whatever Saban and Jimbo said to each other, you know, publicly. They probably have said far worse to each other going back to the time which they worked together at LSU or, you know, uh, previous times there. So Kirby's probably, you know, saying something kind of truthful about that there. Uh, I also saw where Shane Beamer, the South Carolina coach, was talking about the role that NIL may have played in Spencer Rattler coming to South Carolina from Oklahoma. You know, Rattler kind of famously had two car deals going back to his time at OU. He only drive one at a time, but he had apparently two car deals. And uh, what Beamer said was, is that he understands that Rattler has gotten some NIL stuff since having been at South Carolina, but that, he says, did not play any role in drawing him to Columbia. A lot of this stuff ends up probably being like semantic differences, and uh, that's what makes sifting through and finding what the truth is pretty hard to do just because you know you can kind of define some of these terms in any way that you want to uh beamer also said that he's looking forward to kind of sifting through there and figuring out what the scheduling model uh needs needs to be for the sec that's the one piece of like actual news we are expecting to come from this here this week um uh also i'm seeing this just coming in billy napier the florida coach saying the players deserve a cut of the cash pie. I'm reading this from Ross Dellinger on Twitter. If there are no players in these stadiums, no one is showing up to watch. It all leads back to the money. TV industry holds the key to the castle, so to speak. Unless I understand where Nabish is coming from on that, and there's a portion of what he says that seems inarguably true. However, I do firmly disagree with the notion that the players themselves are what drive the value for college athletics. In other words, if all the players – who are currently making up Division One football, if they basically quit this to go create their own football league and they said next fall we're going to create a rival football entity that competes with college football. We're going to be more talented than the other players still left playing at Georgia, LSU, Florida, and places like that. Which of those two things do you think gets greater television ratings? I'd suggest traditional college football even with lesser players, would still get better ratings. In fact, this isn't strictly speaking a hypothetical in the fact that we had an error, era, I meant to say, a few years ago in college basketball where, you know, there were no, like, 
you know, one and done type players playing college basketball, all of the high school players that could have gone to the NBA for a while they were. Listen, the NCAA basketball tournament was still a gigantic television entity. As cliche as it sounds, college sports is the one thing where the name on the front of the jersey does seem to mean more than the name on the back of the jersey, that the marketing ability you have as a player doesn't solely come from your talent. It also comes from the fact that you are connected to an LSU or a Florida or an Alabama or a Georgia, and that's just that's just kind of part of it, and that your talent utilized in some other league does not seem to bring about the same ability for you know marketing windfall if it did somebody would have already done this if college athletics was basically you know getting rich on the backs of unpaid labor if that's all this was and that's what some people try to tell you if that's all college athletics was Well, somebody would have just stepped in earlier and paid the players even a fraction of what they were worth, which was more than what college athletics was paying them, and ridden that all the way to to great profits. But the fact that no one has stepped in to do that, I think, indicates that the actual story with college athletics is far more complicated than sometimes it's given credit for. People want to compare it to other things, when really there's really nothing – from a comparative standpoint, that is anything like college athletics at all, but that doesn't make college athletics necessarily wrong. Uh, let's see what else coming out of all of this. Spring meetings ongoing right now. Billy Napier speaking. I didn't really see anything else come out of the Kirby Smart stuff, um, so maybe he successfully got in and out without saying uh, you know, too much there on that. But... Um, but nonetheless, that seems to be ongoing. So we'll follow this and have more for th- for you on this as well tomorrow. Good stuff coming at dognation.com. Don't forget our buddy Mike Griffith is on hand for that there as well. So y'all make sure you check that out, and we will see you back here tomorrow. Also, make sure you check out R.S. Andrews for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. You can trust R.S. Andrews for all of that today. Have a great day. We will see you tomorrow at Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.